Our first reading this evening comes from Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 8 to 13. But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. And our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 18 through to chapter 3 and verse 6. Mark 2, verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and then both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pluck some ears of corn. The Pharisee said to him, Look! Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good 
or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just occasionally, I try Pauline's patience. (laughs) She might say more than occasionally. I can be reading something and it so grabs me that I have to say to her, listen to this. And she patiently says, yes, what is it? I was reading Mark chapter 2 at the end of January uh, with a, a small commentary and I was really caught with the things that it was saying. I didn't disturb Pauline at the time, but I thought to myself, I wonder if I could share that with the church. I then forgot about it and there I was sitting on a lounge chair in 30 degrees in bright, warm sunshine in the Dominican Republic on holiday when ping. I got a a text from uh, Marion. Would I speak Palm Sunday evening? And that brought it back to mind. So here we are, Palm Sunday evening, and Mark chapter 2. It's Palm Sunday. Some of us in 1998 went to Israel, didn't we? Perhaps some remember it. And uh, I can always remember walking down with the group uh, with the Mount of Olives up there on our left-hand side and a forest of olive trees on our right. And just behind us was the little village of Bethany, And we walked down the hill, and there in front of us was the city of Jerusalem. But between us and the city, there was a valley. And in that valley was the brook Kidron. And just on the right of that was the Garden of Gethsemane. And then across the brook into the gate of Jerusalem. Some will remember that. Imagine the scene. I don't know whether you're like me, but I like people watching. I like to sit uh, in an outdoors cafe, providing it's warm, watching the people go by and seeing what's happening. I'm going to invite you to people watch now. Uh, We're going to play a short video, and there are three types of people I'd like you to pick up, uh, pick out. Not Jesus or his disciples. So there's a challenge. There were those who hated. Why did they hate? There were those who welcomed, but later were to call crucify. 
and there were some who asked. And of course, there was Jesus and the disciples. And I was wondering, why did those who hated him hate him? And this is where Mark chapter 2 comes in. Who is Jesus? He is presenting himself to the crowd and to the authorities. In chapter 2 of Mark and verse 21. No one sews a, a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away. Jesus himself is saying, I am that new piece. And then he goes on to say, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. And Jesus is saying, I am the new wine, and the establishment, as it is, cannot contain me. He then goes on in uh, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. Look, why are you doing that, which is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he then tells them about David and the high priest at that time, and he's likening himself to a king and a high priest. And then in verse 28, he says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And that's an amazing statement. Who were the Pharisees? Who are they? Again, in Mark chapter 2, verse 21, Jesus is suggesting that they are old and tired, and faded, and torn. They are the old garment. And that they're incapable of a new experience of God because they are the old wine um, bag, the old wineskin, incapable and inflexible of a new experience of God. And then when he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, He is saying that their rules and their regulations create a barrier to God and not a pathway. They were there as leaders to bring people to God, but in fact they were raising barriers. Uh, Don't take my word for it. Uh, Peter, later in uh, Acts uh, chapter 15 and verse 10, says, Now then... Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? So here's Peter saying, the yoke of the law, we couldn't bear it. Why are you trying to put circumcision and all the rules of the law upon us? They are stubborn and repentant. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And what was their reaction? 
not well done, the man is cured, they went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Why did they hate him? Because they could not receive him. They could not receive this new wine, this new garment. Our challenge today in the church is to listen to Jesus. He's not interested in creating social structures and institutions. And here are a couple of the commentary items that struck me uh, so <clears throat> strongly. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Richard Shaw, the missionary theo- theologian, suggests that these are the most revolutionary words Jesus said, for they challenge the heart of every political system. He believes Jesus is declaring that the function of social structures and institutions is to serve people. And if they don't serve people, they need to be changed so that they will fulfill their function. How can we respond to that? Perhaps we could think and pray with other Christians about how we might work to change the institutions and structures in our culture so that we can liberate people and allow them to travel to God more easily. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins. In his book, The Problem of Wineskins, Howard Snyder suggests that the wineskins Jesus is referring to are the ways we express and celebrate the eternal truths of God in a culture. As many a missionary has discovered, and as Jesus seems to be saying here, some appropriate and helpful ways of expressing our faith in one time or culture can be stumbling blocks and barriers to faith in another time or culture. We would do well to examine the way we express our faith and work out what's merely cultural and essential. Perhaps we could talk with someone who's new to the Christian faith or from another denomination and explore the appropriateness of the way that we express our faith and ask for God's help to listen very carefully. One of the Pharisees' problems was dogmatism. Dogmatism has no place in the way that we should be expressing our faith. Pope Benedict said, Revelation is God's conversation with humanity. And it's a conversation that goes on over millennia. As you get immersed in this conversation with God, slowly your ideas of God are purified. Slowly you are freed from violent ideas about God. That's the Old Testament. You see that the earliest revelation portrays God as a warrior determined to slaughter all his enemies. But in the course of humanity's conversation with God, we finally come to the moment when we are able to speak of God 
as the one who turns the other cheek and lets himself be led to death rather than bring about vengeance. You've got to see the whole of the Bible dynamically as it moves towards the peacefulness of Jesus. The old hymn puts it so well, and yet there is more light and truth to come forth from his word. The Bible is dynamic, and it's a conversation with God that goes over years and years and years. We should not at any one time say that we have the whole truth. We should not be dogmatic. Marion told us an amusing story this morning about a little boy. Um, I was reading, and this is a real story, about uh, the actor David Jason. And when he was a boy, his mother, who was not a Christian and not a churchgoer, decided he ought to go to church. So she said, today I'm going to take you to God's house. So she took him to church, left him there, and went back home. And this went on for five or six times. On the seventh, when she got home, there was little David Jason, age 12, behind her. And she said to him, what are you doing? He says, I've been there six weeks, and he's not there. When I go to Auntie Wynne's house, she's there, but God wasn't. God's house. I wonder if we should be using that expression to children, because it does give a wrong impression. So that's our challenge. Listen to Jesus and make our conversation with him um, hearable for other people. That's those who hate. Now what about the crowd? The crowd who welcomed him, but then called crucify. Why had they turned against him? I've got a book which is entitled... Uh, Palestine in the Life and Times of Jesus. And I'd like to read something from that book. It's about the Messiah. A fundamental part of Judaism was the promise of a golden age in the future, made possible by the coming of a heaven-sent being with the title meaning the Lord's Anointed. Meshua, Aramaic, Christos, Greek. This hope had lifted the hearts of generation after generation. The apocryphal books, you know that big pile of books that Tim had on a little table some weeks ago, and they're a part of Jewish sacred literature, all spoke of a Messiah who would be superhuman and perform many wonders. There were many confused and even contradictory notions about Messiah, but all agreed with the certainty that his reign would begin a time of perfect happiness, the fullness of Israel's glory would be restored, and God's justice would rule the world. This hope was never more alive than at the time of Jesus. It was a time of great national sadness, anxiety, and humiliation. They were subject to an oppressive occupation by mighty Rome, which had even replaced the Tetrarch king of Judah with a Roman governor. At this time, it was Pontius Pilate. The people felt sure that this was the time that the Lord's anointed would appear 
and would lead the nation to overthrow the oppressive power of Rome. The Gospel writers record and reflect this longing. Luke 1, the deliverance of Israel, that was Zechariah's words. John 1, a man comes after me who was before me. The Samaritan woman at the well, I know that Messiah is to come. And John in Luke says, are you the one that is to come? And the crowd then say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are Christ, tell us plainly. Thus the explosion of joy on Palm Sunday as Jesus entered Jerusalem. They intended to come and make him king by force. That crowd was so disappointed when Pilate turned round to Jesus after he had been abused by the soldiers and said, Behold the man. I can release to you Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus by Joseph, or Jesus by Rabbis. Which would you have me release? And their disappointment said, Barabbas, and Jesus was sent to be crucified. They were disappointed. Sometimes we feel let down, don't we, in our relationship with Jesus? Archbishop Tutu was asked to lead a prayer at a big meeting in Canada. And as he prayed, he said, Lord, I know that you are king of all the earth, but occasionally, would you just show it? And don't we feel that sometimes as we look around and we know that Jesus is king, but we say, why don't you show it? And won't you come, come quickly? We have the benefit of knowing the full story. The crucified carpenter's son is the risen, reigning redeemer. King of kings, Lord of lords. And as Hebrews tells us, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You know, that's why his shout on the cross it is finished, was a shout of triumph, of victory, and not defeat. God says, my ways are not your ways. We quickly move on to the others. Matthew chapter 21 tells us that the men of the city said, who is this, as Jesus came? And the answer was, this is Jesus. You know, our challenge is to be disciples and apostles following and witnessing to our Lord. Recently in Slinfold, uh, a really lovely lady uh, was laid to rest. And one of the uh, <clears throat> tributes given about her was she was the face of Christ in our village. Isn't that a wonderful tribute? She was the face of Christ in our village. And our Lord has asked us to be his face wherever we are.
And you know, we are part of a Baptist church, but we are part of God's church, which doesn't have labels on it, that we are part of the church together in Horsham. And I believe that God has a great work to do in Horsham. Uh, There's a verse in the Bible which says, he has many people in that place. I believe that he has many people in Horsham. And we were sharing this with the minister at Trafalgar Road in our Lent house group. And he is so totally convinced that we, as churches together, need to be acting together for the glory of God's kingdom. We were in uh, Oberammergau in the year 2000. And after we had been to the Passion Play, we had and we celebrated communion with uh, a number of people in our group who were from different faiths. And the man who was leading it said, I want you to imagine the lame man who was on a stretcher and his four friends brought him to Jesus. And I want you to imagine that those four friends represent a different way of worship, a different denomination. And there they are on each corner of the stretcher. And they're supposed to be lifting their friend to take him to Jesus. And the man said to us, of course there will be one who wants to come to Jesus with his hands in the air. And there will be another who wants to come to Jesus on his knees. And the man on the stretcher is saying, make up your minds, take me to Jesus. And that's what the people of Horsham say to us. Be together, take me to Jesus. He's going to do amazing things if we do that.